your Bibles in the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I'd like to read pretty much this whole chapter if you'll follow along. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke... Count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing, notice this phrase, that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I charge thee in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Jesus Christ who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, and that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's a lot of Different ways you could approach that text that I just read this chapter. But did you see more than one time, more than one occasion, the apostle was encouraging Timothy in regards to material wealth. The stuff that you got or don't have. Your attitude about it. What it should be as a believer. Contentment. Godliness. Uh, great gain. Contentment is great gain, he said. I want to talk about that this evening. I want to title this, Our Thankfulness for His Goodness. Our Thankfulness for His Goodness. Heavenly Father, bless your word. Open our hearts to the truth that here, that's here. And, and help us to have the right spirit and attitude about the good things that you've given us. That we would take the words of Paul to heart. So thankful that you're good to us more than we deserve. Now speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So it's obvious more than one occasion in this passage, he talks about money in a good way, in a bad way, and what it can, how the dangers of wealth and, and our attitude towards 
what we have should be wealth in general, is it not a relative concept? Amen. You don't probably, if I, if I ask you, all the wealthy people raise your hand. You know, not very few are going to raise your hand. Some kid that's got, you know, $15 in his piggy bank, he thinks that's wealth. I remember when my kids thought that. I wish I had those days again. It's relative because you compare your wealth with others to see how wealthy you are. So, for instance, if you want to compare yourself with the richest man in Oklahoma, his name is Harold Ham. He is worth over $20 billion. No one in here is going to compare their wealth to his. That I, if you are, tell me after. <laughs> so we can get to know each other. No one in this room I doubt is going to say, oh yeah, compared to him, 20 billion? Sure. Did you know if you had a, a bill, $1 billion, you could spend $5,000 a day and not run out for 500 years? Just one billion. So you don't have that kind of wealth, probably. But did you know, compared to most of the world, you have a lot. Most of us drove here tonight or could have driven here tonight in a vehicle that you own or working on owning. Most of us have a choice over which vehicle to drive because you've have more than one, and they cost several thousand dollars a piece. And even though gas has been very high, you really, let's face it, it hasn't radically changed our driving habits. Most of you this, today live in a nice home that you either rent or, you're, again, you're trying to own an apartment. It's probably fairly warm in the, in the winter and cool in the summer. You have running water. You have indoor plumbing. You have electricity and gas and things that we take so for granted until the ice storm. (laughs) Things that we just think that we have. Most of you carry a phone in your pocket. Many of you have a television that's bigger than the wall that the television is mounted upon. Across the world today, 1.3 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. 3 billion on under $2 a day. 1.3 billion have no access to clean water. 3 billion have no access to sanitation. 2 billion have no access to electricity. Yet in the United States... Anyone who, live, who makes more, less than $30 a day is under the poverty level. About half of the people in this world have no idea what it, has, what it means to just have enough. And if they could meet you and see how you live, they would consider you wealthy beyond their imagination. Because when you think about it, we have a lot. I'll use the word rich. Because when you think about it, you're rich. We have disposable income. You don't spend every dime every day to just meet your needs for food for that day. Just a couple days ago, I'm just guessing because I know what my table looked like. You had more food on your table a couple days ago than most people may see in their entire lives. No one can deny that we are so blessed. Blessed that most of the world would look at us and say, you are rich. God has been good to you. God has been good to me. And even if we had barely enough to survive, we would still say God's been good. But he's been bountiful to you and I 
Simply because of our birth in this country, really. With his manifold blessings, the gift he's given us, he has been bountiful. The blessings, just the material things that God has given us and blessed us with, make all, everyone in this room, compared to most of the world, wealthy. Very wealthy. With that truth of God's goodness and his blessings to all of us in this room with that truth, considering that, that we are rich, that Paul is talking to us when he's talking about those who have, those who have wealth, those who have riches with that truth. And we want to be truly thankful for his goodness and what he's given to us and what we're privileged to have. Then let's take these words of Paul to heart. I'm thankful, God, for what you've given me. I'm so thankful, God, for the blessings. I'm thankful for everything I have. If that's so, and I want it to be so in my life, then take the words of Paul. Some of these things he's told us in this passage to heart. And, I, and you can look at it in many different ways. And I'll just give three uh, points about his, his instructions here. First, there's some dangers to avoid. Second, there's a duty to fulfill. And then last, there's death. Death to consider. So first, there's dangers to avoid. Notice what he says. Starting verse number six, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So being rich and experiencing the blessings that you and I have has a set of dangers. And some of them are mentioned over and over and over again in scripture. But this one stands out. He says, first of all, I want you that have much to be satisfied. Be content because the first danger that comes with material blessings and material uh, uh, wealth and the things that God gives us, the first thing that comes with that is we are discontent. Can you imagine? With all the stuff that you have, the stuff you have in your garage that you didn't even know you have. With all the stuff that we have, that somehow we would have room to not be contented. In verse number six, he points this out. Listen, godliness goes hand in hand with contentment. And those two things, that is really great gain. A wise man said this, the truly rich are satisfied with what they have, no matter how little the truly poor are dissatisfied with what they have, no matter how much. Have you ever noticed just how hard it is to be satisfied with what you have? And it really starts when you're young. When you're young, when you're a boy. Now, I, girls, I don't relate to dolls and anything like that. I didn't play with that stuff other than to pull the heads off of them. <laughs> so I don't know anything about that. But for boys, I can remember, you have a bicycle. And it's a, it, it pedals, it's got two tires, and it, it works. There's nothing wrong with it except your neighbor. He's got a red, some of you will understand this, a red Schwinn with the banana seat, you know, and the... And, and the, the, you know, the ape hangers and the big sissy bar in the back. Dad, my bike stinks. What's the matter? I just bought you that bike at Christmas. Yeah, but did you see his bike? And when you get older, it just changes, but it's pretty much the same thing. My new house would only be perfect if it had one more bedroom like so-and-so's house. Did you go to their house? I'm trying not to go to anybody's house. Then I'm going to want another bathroom or the kitchen with this. I'm never satisfied with what I have. And I have a car. I have a car sitting out there that will get me from here to there. Every time it gets me from here to there. But it isn't the car I want. I'm being honest with you. I hate it. I'll get in it tonight and it'll start up. All the bad things I'm saying about it, it'll still start up and take me home. But it isn't the one I want. I want a different one. Have you ever had a new job that worked out for about a day? How's a new job? It's fine, but I really want that job. 
I really want the boss's job. I really want that job. My retirement account, how's your retirement account going? Man, it's going great, but it's not as big as so-and-so's retirement account. No matter your age or what it is, it just changes. We're just, whatever it is comes our way. We're thankful for it for a while, but, but then all of a sudden we're discontented. It's not quite good enough. It's not quite what we wish we had or what someone else has. Be careful. Be content with what you have. Look what he says in verse number nine. Those that will be rich. Those that will be rich. Those who are always sinking more and more and more. Leads to what happens in verse number 10. A love for money. Those who will be rich. Those who are desiring for more and more. And it leads to bad stuff in verse number 10. Because they have a love for money. And they set themselves up according to the verses. For temptations and snares. And foolish and hurtful lusts. And for destruction and perdition. And for erring from the faith. And from many sorrows he says. Does being rich bring those on a person? No that's not what he said. Not being content and satisfied. That's what it brings on a person. You remember Paul in Philippians. He wrote this. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned, he said. In whatsoever state I'm in. Therewith to to be content. According to Paul, being content has very little to do with what you have, but something that you all can learn, can learn to be content. How do I, I want to be content. How do I learn it? Paul said it's something I could learn. I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble by seeking riches, by this love of money that's the root of all evil. I don't want to do that. On the other hand, I do want to be content with what God has blessed me with. So how do I do that? Well, first you listen to the word. I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelation, over and over we're given illustrations of men who sought to be rich who weren't satisfied. And maybe it was wealth. Maybe it's David not satisfied with the six wives he's had, but looking over to see another man's wife. I'm just telling you time and again, we're seeing, we're seeing examples of men and women who weren't content with what they had. And they tried to go and find something else and all of a sudden found themselves in a bad way. All through the word, We're given examples, starting with men like Solomon and many others who seem to have it all, but are never at peace. Just open your eyes to the book. And, you know, it's great to learn from others' examples and see what God's word says. And then doesn't our own experience teach us something about contentment? When you, you know what I find, more and more I'm talking about how how old I am. I don't know why, other than I'm proud to have made it this far, I guess. But the longer I live, I see things that maybe I didn't see before. And maybe my perspective changes a little as time goes. But this I know is true. Experience is teaching me to be satisfied with what I have is not related to how much stuff I have. To be content and satisfied and happy really has no relation to the stuff I have. But it has to do with internal satisfaction, thankfulness, contentment. If you aren't satisfied with what you have right now, what God's given you, can I tell you, you always will be searching for what is just right out of your reach. If you're not satisfied with what God has given you right now, you'll always be looking at others and seeing what they have and what you don't have. If you're not satisfied with what God has given you right now, what you'll find is nothing will satisfy and it'll be a vicious cycle that you never really can get off. 
wise person said this, there's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. And the second is to desire less and less. Think of that. The key is not to keep trying to get more stuff until you finally can say, I have enough. The key is to be satisfied with what you already have. Notice in verse number 17 how he adds to this danger because he says, charge them that are rich. Those in, the, those in the listening audience here to Paul's words who have a lot. And according to, if you read verse number one, you get the idea in his, to, to his listeners, he's writing to some who may literally be servants and some be owners of servants. That's a big gap. That's some who are wealthy and some who have very little. Okay. So in verse number 17, he says, charge them that are rich in this uh, here, Timothy, charge those that you are preaching to who have a lot to do what? That they be not high-minded. Hmm. Charge those men and women that you're going to try to minister, Timothy, that pride doesn't get in the way. High-minded, prideful. Because many times do you not see that riches and pride go together? The more that sometimes have you not had a lot and God has really blessed you. Have you watched someone that God's really blessed and noticed that they may have a temptation to take on this air of superiority, high mindedness? Because this, after all, in our culture, for sure, is not money a status symbol. Because if you have money, then you're important. If you have money, People want to hear what you have to say. If you have money, people want to be your friend. So at least, at the very least, they can tell other people that they know you. If you have money, what you have to say is considered important and people treat you with respect and maybe a little bit awe. And not to mention all the stuff that you can have that others cannot have. High-minded if we're not careful, those of us who may not have as much, what we begin to do is to look down on those who don't have, don't have what we have. If we're not careful, we'll begin to think though we're more important than others because I have, they don't have. My opinion is more important than yours because I have two cars and you will have one car. My life is more important. What I do is more important. What I think is more important. What I have to say is more important. Because obviously I have and you don't have. And when you think about it, how silly is it to be high-minded? Because of what you have. Because you're not even responsible for it. Oh, I know somebody, Brother Ted, and they grew up with nothing. They grew up in a house made of dirt. And they had absolutely nothing. And they, they got out of that poverty and they, little by little they became more successful. And, and through perseverance and hard work, now they own their own business. They own their own corporation. And they, and they did it all by themselves. Mm, no, they didn't. I'm not saying they didn't work hard. I'm not saying they didn't persevere. I'm not saying they didn't sacrifice. I'm not saying people haven't applied themselves and made better of themselves. What I'm saying is if we're not careful, we'll forget this. We are not responsible for what we have. God who giveth us richly all things. Everything I have is because of God. Everything you have is because of God. Let me read you some text to prove that. James 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Ecclesiastes 3, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes 5, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and have given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Deuteronomy 8, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get 
wealth. Sounds like God's taking responsibility for the richest man in Oklahoma with 20 billion with a B dollars. More than he could ever spend in more than one lifetime. And I'm sure, I don't know him, maybe he's a godly man. Or maybe he's sitting in his office as I speak, patting himself on the back for everything he's done. God could take it away in a heartbeat. Because God gave it to him. I'm afraid many times we think more of people who have money than people who do not. Even as believers, sometimes we fall into that trap. Once a year, we pass out the ballots to elect our officers. I'm so thankful for our church officers. Good men, everyone. But I want to be careful when I'm voting. I'm not thinking, now who here has business? Who here drives the nicest car? Who here has the biggest house? Who here seems to have the most uh, blessings? Who here seems to have the most stuff? Because obvious, for some reason, God has chosen to bless them and not this person. And I want that person to be in office. Regardless of their spirituality, if we're not careful, we'll fall into that trap. Because many times we look at those who have been blessed with wealth that comes from God, and somehow they're more right with God than those who have nothing. Because after all, if that person was spiritual, they'd have stuff too. Hmm. Also, Paul said this, don't trust money. Don't trust it. Proverbs 11, he that trusteth in his riches shall fail. Why is it in this church or most churches tonight, if they're having church, you'll see more regular people than you will see wealthy people. Now, I know we're all wealthy. I already told us all that, right? But, you know, in the millionaire, billionaire uh, realm of living, why is it in church you see more just normal, regular people than you will those who are wealthy. And is it because money kind of tends for people to trust in that, their money and their wealth, than in God? See that over and over, don't we? People who have a lot, have a lot of money, and their bank account is big, and their portfolio is packed full. They tend to want to trust in their money rather than trust in God. But you can't trust money. You can't trust it. It has no promise of the future. The Bible says it has wings. How many have experienced that your money has wings? (laughs) Say, yes, it's December coming up. All of my money has wings. Money I haven't earned yet has wings. Somewhere in February, it may land. Other than that, I know the feeling. Money doesn't deliver on its guarantee of peace or love or joy. Money doesn't bring comfort when tragedy strikes. Money doesn't give peace when the test results are bad. Money doesn't bring calm when you have a child that is wayward. Money doesn't give ease when a heart is broken. Money doesn't give rest to a weary spirit. Money doesn't give companionship when you can find no true friend. Money can't wrap its arms around you when you need to feel loved. You can't trust money. Uncertain riches, you can't trust it. There's dangers to avoid, he said. Be careful. All you wealthy people out here at Southwest Baptist Church, watch. Be content with what you have. Number two, there's a duty. There's a duty to fulfill. As he says in verse number 18, they, that they, he says, charge them that are rich, verse 17, that they're not high-minded, that they don't trust in unsearching riches, but trust in God. And then in verse 18, he's charging us again that they do good. Here's your duty as rich people, you rich people out here, that you do good. Be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. He says, with your privilege of great wealth that all of you have. 
Here's a responsibility because to whom much is given, much is required. If you're truly thankful for all that you've been given, then he says, do this. Number one, do good. That's just how he put it in verse number 18. Just do good. Hey, people that have much, do good. Why? That's a strange instruction to give, isn't it, to a believer? Do good. Well, there's a reason why he tells us that. Number one, because we should do good. Galatians 6. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That's the reason he gives us that charge. And the second reason is, if you're not careful, your, your wealth status will make you think that somehow you're above all those normal rules, like just doing good. Do good. And then he says, be rich, not just in stuff, not just in money, not just in bank accounts. But he says, look what he says, be rich in good works. Believers who are experiencing the goodness and provision of God. Now, be rich in this way, abound in your good works toward others. Let others see your good works, as Matthew put it. Let your light so shine so men can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our good works, those things that we just do without expecting anything in return. It's like those are shining lights pointing people to Jesus. So here's a good question to ask yourself. If someone knew you and they would say, what, how are you rich? And, and what, are, what are you rich? If people knew you, what would they say that you abound in? Oh, so-and-so, man, he is, he's rich in cars. Man, he's got so many cool cars. It's a man thing. Girls, don't listen to this. He's got so many cool cars. He's, he's got Corvettes, and he's got a 66 Mustang, red with a... I'm talking about what I wish I had, a 66 red Mustang convertible with a four on the floor, 289 would be fine. I'm not picky. He's got so many cool cars in his garage. and He's got several motorcycles. Man, he's rich in that. Well, so-and-so, he's rich in the, He's rich in golf. You should see him golf. He's rich in hunting. You should see all the trophies that he's bagged. He's rich in this collection of things that he has. How about, uh, believe, they say this about us believers who have much more stuff than we, would, than we really need, that we would be rich in good works. Just be rich in goodness. Rich in goodness towards others. Rich in being good towards people. Just rich in good works. As a believer, wouldn't that what we want people to say when they see our lives? I'm not saying you couldn't have a bunch of cars and motorcycles and go hunting and fishing and golfing and all that other stuff. But wouldn't you want the thing that would people would say that this is really when I look at him, I see what he really excels is goodness. As he puts it, good works. He also said this, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Listen to this description. The Sea of Galilee receives but does not keep the River Jordan. Every drop that flows into it, another drop flows out. The giving and receiving go on equal in measure. The other sea is shrewder, hoarding income jealously. It will not be tempted into any generous impulse. Every drop it gets, it keeps. The Sea of Galilee gives and lives. The other sea gives nothing. It is named the Dead Sea. As believers, should we not look for opportunities to be a blessing to someone willing, ready to give? Well, Brother Ted, I know you think I'm rich, but I, my wallet says different. And my bank account doesn't really say rich. Uh, so I don't really have anything, as Paul's talking about, I don't really have anything to distribute or communicate to anybody. Um, yeah, you do. You got, you got time to say an encouraging word. 
You have time to send a note or a card. You have time to be a help. You have time to listen, to pray, to tell someone you're going to pray for them and really pray for them. You have love that you can give and demonstrate. You can be a blessing and encouragement. Or you can just keep receiving and receiving and receiving without giving. And soon you too will be as dead as the Dead Sea. Unthankful. Useless. Dead. There's dangers to avoid. There's a duty to fulfill. And then lastly, he brings us to verse number 19 and reminds us of something. There's death to remember. You've heard our pastor. Ten out of ten people die. It don't matter how much you got. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter the size of your bank account. You could have 20 billion or 20 bucks. Ten out of ten are going to die. We're all going to cross that threshold, aren't we? He reminds us about that in verse number 19. When he talks about the time to come and eternal life. He reminds us one day this is all going to be over. Jesus himself told, remember that story that illustrates pretty much this concept when he talked about that rich man who had such a terrible problem. It was bad. So much stuff, he said to himself, my barns won't hold it all. Have you ever had a problem like that? I have not. I have so much money, dear, the bank said I can't come back and deposit any more. He said, my my, my harvest is coming. My barns are full. I don't have room for all my stuff. And and I I got more than I could spend, but yet I need room for more. So I'm going to pull down my barns. He says, I'm going to build greater and I'm going to bestow my fruits and my goods. And this is his words. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. His intention was this. I'm just going to hoard my goods and live off them the rest of my life. I'm going to enjoy my retirement and not really even giving thought to what tomorrow might bring a person. That philosophy is pretty popular, isn't it? Just worry about today. Live your life for now. Get all the gusto you can get today. Everything you can get now, see if you can get it. And the problem with that way of thinking, from that man until today, to people who have the same uh, line of thought, is this. You're not going to live forever. And Jesus' words to that man were this. You're a fool. You're a fool because you're going to die tonight. And then who's going to have all that stuff that you've gathered? Jesus was saying it's foolish to live your life without thinking about your death. And that message is not really, when you think about it, not entirely just for lost people. Because it's for you and I and our attitudes towards this stuff that we have. He said, lay a good foundation in verse number 19. Listen to Luke 12. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It is foolish to lay up treasure that we will use here and now and at the same time not be rich toward God. You can have a strong foundation financially. Your portfolio could be in good shape. You could be ready to retire. All that is wonderful. But the question is, are you ready to meet God? Lay up not for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Evidently, there's a way you can invest. There's a way you can invest now that will have dividends later. There's a way that you can invest your, in your 
your life and the things that God has blessed you with now that will have dividends, that will pay later, that will be eternal. Now, for those of you interested in the stock market and investments, that's quite a proposal. Eternal dividends. Ooh, that sounds interesting. How am I going to do that? Oh, simple. By giving it away, by helping others in need, by investing it in the lives of others, by giving to faith promise and missions. How does all that work, Brother Ted? How am I going to see my investment? If I give it away, if I use my my blessings, my money to help here and now and, and give it to the church and give it to missions and give it to people in need. How is that? How am I going to see my investment? Well, sometimes you do see it now. Sometimes you see it now. All of us at Southwest, we're spoiled because we get to see some of these students come back after a few years. And if, when you see one of them, when you see them when they're freshmen, You know the feeling. I've had it 25 times. No, no. I watch them walk up here. Nah. Nah, they ain't going to do it. (laughs) I've been wrong at least 20 times. A few years they're out. They come back. You hear them preach. You see the way they handle themselves. You see they become men and women of God. And all of a sudden, your investment, it comes, comes due. All the time that you might have invested. Maybe the money that you've put in. Maybe the hours. Maybe the meals. Maybe the prayers. Maybe the encouraging notes. Maybe just trying to help. All of a sudden, some of the investment that we, that we put into uh, the Lord's work, we do see now. We get to see now. And we get to, we get to uh, see bus kids grow up and, and, and become men and women of God who raise their families in church and the college kids and, and others that we try to help. We get to see a lot of that now. That's wonderful. But can I tell you something that we, I couldn't even explain because I don't really know? In heaven, it's going to be amazing. Because evidently, what we invest now in his work will... The dividends will come due in heaven. It's going to be something like I don't even know how to explain. God says, who does not lie, you can be rich toward me. You can lay up treasures in heaven. You can lay a good foundation. Notice how he puts it in verse number 19. Lay hold on eternal life. When you think about it, God's... God is always right. How foolish we would be to amass billions of dollars of great wealth on this planet and the next day keel over dead and let our heirs fight about who's going to get what. How foolish. A rich man died. Someone asked, how much did he leave? And the answer was, Every bit of it. Because there's more important things. There are more important ways to use what God has given you. And that's why he says they hold on eternal life. Understand what's important in your life. And live your life with that in mind. And use the blessings that God has given you with that in mind. Because you've been given so much. Most of this world would think you rich. I know this, there's times our perspective needs challenged. So several years ago, a few of us went to Kenya. Shropshires, Delaney Kim and the Spiveys and my wife and I went to Kenya. That was my second trip to Africa, but this was different. So the missionary wanted to take us into <clears throat> the Kabara slum. That's what they call it. The Kabara slum is a, a piece of land right outside Nairobi. It's owned by the government. Inside that 
piece of land live? If you look it up, I looked it up today to find if they had a count. Nobody really knows for sure. Somewhere around half a million people. Half a million people live in this slum. Most, the vast majority, with no access to electricity or or running water or anything that you and I would consider a home. And they live, most of them, in little shacks that they've either put together or, or sometimes someone will build a little row of corrugated tin uh, apartment kind of things. And it's undescribable to see something that big, full of people with no hope and with so little so Denny Midori took us in there, and we were going to visit a man and his family that were members of, uh, of that church. And it was for us white people from Oklahoma, uh, quite an experience to just walk down the little alleys with these little huts everywhere. I don't even know how to describe them. And watching where you walk that you didn't step in open trenches of sewer. And it was bad. It's one of those things, culture shock is the word. So we made our way to this long row of corrugated little about seven foot tall kind of like sheds. And in the one was this Man. And his wife, I don't know how many kids they had, several. One room, there's a little curtain, and, and on the other side of the curtain was where she was cooking uh, over an open fire. And we all hustled in there to this one room that's about, it's probably 10 by 10, 12 by 12, something like that. And we're standing there, I'm feeling really awkward. And he, I don't know if I met a happier guy than him. And he wanted to show us something. The missionary had built him triple deck bunk beds. And there they were. They took up most of the space in their little thing. One, two, three. Now all of them had somewhere to sleep in that little shed. I don't know how many kids per bunk, a bunch. Mom and dad included. And he was showing them off and talking about them. He had good English, talking about those bunks. And, and it was kind of sad and funny at the same time. And then he looked at me. I don't know nothing. I'm from Oklahoma. He said, Pastor me. Pastor, would you pray and thank God for all his blessings? I had more money in my pocket than he'll see probably his whole life. Just in my pocket. And I'm going to pray and thank God that he's got triple decker bunk beds with no electricity and Nothing that you and I would consider normal. I felt about that tall. So I was wondering in my heart, am I thankful for what I got? Because I got, if this guy could come to my house, he wouldn't believe it. If he could see what you have, he wouldn't get it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't believe it. He would think I was the $20 billion guy. So I... Stumbled through some kind of prayer, thanking God for his many blessings in these triple bunk beds. And a guy as happy as could be. You know, he had something we need contentment, thankfulness for what God has given him. Relatively speaking, not much, right? But thankful for the goodness of God. And to this day, if you ask everybody who went on that trip, something different would have stuck with them. That has stuck with me. 
that a man with nothing would be so thankful for the blessings of God. I wonder if I'm that thankful. Because I have so much and you have so much. And Paul warns us, be careful those of you who have a lot. There's dangers. Be content. Don't be on the search for riches. Be careful. Don't get high-minded because you have more than somebody else has. Don't think that you're better or more blessed by me because I've given you more than someone else has. And you've got a duty. You've got a duty to fulfill, to do good and to use what you have to help others or be generous with what you have to help others. And remember, in heaven, me and that guy, we're the same. In heaven, there's no class system. It's not going to matter. I'm not going to get a bigger mansion because I had more on earth. Might be the opposite. In heaven, we're all the same. In heaven, we're all thankful for what God gave. We're in heaven, we're all thankful for our salvation. Consider your own death. If you're going to hoard on earth like the Dead Sea, then you'll be dead. You won't, you won't, you'll be useless. You, you won't have life. We just sat at a Thanksgiving table. If you're like me, age again. I'm more cognizant of God's blessings, maybe. And just seeing family and friends and people I love sitting at the table enjoying fellowship together and food and laughing and having a good time. Thankful, Lord, for that. I'll take that over all the 20 billion. I'll take it. Be glad to have that instead. Are you thankful for what God's given you? Are you thankful for his many blessings? There's dangers for us who have much. We better be careful and there's a duty. And we need to remember one day all this, all that we have, somebody else will use it. Let's pray. I want to pray and ask God. I hope he's spoken to your heart. And if he has, I pray that you'd respond to him tonight. However it is he may have spoken. We have so much. Heavenly Father. We have so much to be thankful. You give us so many things. Just in material things. Just in the fact that we were born in this country. And we have more than most of the country will ever see. I hope we're thankful I hope we're careful with what we have. Because there's dangers because of riches. Along with riches come dangers and things to avoid and be careful. I pray that we're careful. I pray we remember the duty that you said that we have to fulfill. To do good and to be generous. And to remember one day this will all be over. Nobody knows the time of their death. We can work and work on this earth to have stuff. And then the next day we'd be all gone. I'm thankful for your word. That reminds us, especially in a season when we're thinking of being thankful as we go into the holiday season and Thanksgiving just behind us. May we be, as believers, people who are truly thankful. Pray you've spoken to hearts. Pray people would respond as you've spoken in Jesus' name.